Well, I want to welcome everybody to Downtown Harbor Church. This is, well, this is different. I mean, this is something that I had not expected to do, to broadcast live from my dining room. I kind of feel like Al Roker doing the weather, you know what I mean? So it's just as, you know, hopefully there's no dogs barking in the background. But I mean, honestly, we here at DHC, we're used to distractions. So this shouldn't, this shouldn't be an issue for us. But um, I hope everybody's doing well, first and foremost. If it is your first time watching us, um, it must be odd to be watching from your couch or wherever you're watching right now. But my name is John. Uh, I am the lead pastor around here. So I want to appreciate, I just want to thank you guys for you know, giving us 30, 40 minutes of your day. But just as kind of a coronavirus update, if you will, in terms of sort of the state of the church, just so you know, the museum is closed. Um, it has been closed down uh, according to CDC, Broward County, all that kind of stuff. And they are following alongside the Broward public school system. So when the schools start meeting, the museum will open back up. And then we as a church can make a decision. What is it safe for us to begin to start meeting again? And so for the time being, this is what it's going to look like. Um, and um, Christina Cooper is working hard on getting all the slides worked into this. So, so hopefully we don't seem to sort of miss a beat. Um, additionally, if you have children at this church, they are sort of missing their thing. And so what you may have seen on the email that went out is that our kids department will be sending you parents the curriculum that we would normally do with your children on a Sunday morning. So you can start to do that with them as well. We think it's just a great way for us to partner up with you guys and to help you the best that we can. And additionally, if you saw our email, you saw that we are going to be doing a DHC podcast. We put our first one out uh, this week. We got another one in the queue. And our goal is to put a couple out this week, as many as we can. We can think of some content that is interesting and insightful. We're going to, you know, shoot that out to you guys because we know you're bored. We know you're looking for stuff to do. You've probably watched everything on Netflix so far. And so this is just our way to try to keep us connected in such a disconnected world as we speak. Um, but today, we just want to take some time to kick off this brand new series that we're doing called Revolutionary. And um, we had always planned to do this series. Our goal is to move forward now at, forward now as planned. And so this series, Revolutionary, what it is, is for the next couple of weeks, we are taking a look at the greatest message, the greatest sermon that Jesus Christ ever gave. It's a sermon on the mount. It, it, was, it was, when you read it, you see that it was extreme at times. It was dynamic. It was a lightning rod in that community, and, and it still is to this day. And sort of the best way to describe what the Sermon on the Mount is and was is, is really it's, it's the Christian life. It's the Christian life if you had perfect faith. I mean, if you are somebody that truly believed that God exists, that there's a, a world beyond this world, I think what Jesus is laying out for us in these two chapters is this is what your life would look like. And this amazing sermon that he gave 2,000 years ago, it, it, it transformed the world. It changed our understanding of God. It changed our understanding of ourselves and how we relate to God. And it really changed the way that we as humans, and particularly Christians, would and should interact with other people. Now, many of you, particularly if you've been coming to DHC over the last two months, 
are at least in part, let's say, familiar with the Sermon on the Mount. Because during our series, Chasing Happiness, if my memory serves me correctly, on week one, we talked about the Beatitudes. Now, the Beatitudes, if you remember, were these little sound bites, if you will, that Jesus gave. And every single one of these sound bites started with the phrase, blessed, blessed. And we talked about how blessed means happy. And we landed on this idea that these little um, sort of happy sayings, if you will, were Jesus's divine seeds for happiness. And if we practice these things, if we cultivate these things, eventually in our life, we can reap happiness. He said things like, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, the reason I tell you this is because the Beatitudes were the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. They were the preamble, if you will, to the Sermon on the Mount. And when Jesus kind of wrapped up the Beatitudes, he just jumped right into the passage that we're going to be covering today. Now, normally at DHC, what I like to do, just my own personal style, I like to kind of go through each sort of sentence one by one and unfold the passage that way. But what I want to do today is slightly different, just because I've got a little bit more of a captive audience, if you will. Um, what I want to do is I want to read to you the whole passage. Now, it's only just a couple of sentences. But the reason I want to read you the whole passage is because I want you to hear it the way that Jesus's original audience heard it. You know, he didn't go sentence by sentence and stop and explain. He just gave this amazing speech, sermon, talk, and I want you to hear it the way that they heard it. So, if you have your Bibles, we are going to be in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 13. So, Jesus said this, looking out at his followers. He said, you are the salt of the earth. You're the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless, he continues. He says, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, he says, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. I mean, amazing words. Amazing words. So let's, let's, let's dissect it. Let's jump in. Let's find out exactly what Jesus was trying to get at when he's talking about salt and he's talking about light. So he opens up and he says, you guys who I'm looking at right now, you're the salt of the earth. Now remember, the people in his crowd were mostly and primarily his followers. These are, these are people that we would call Christians, although they didn't use that term at the time. But he looks out at this group of Christians and says, you you guys are the salt of the earth. You ever hear this phrase, salt of the earth? It's a, kind of a pretty popular phrase, um, at least in America. And it's a phrase that sort of describes somebody who is upright, you know, trustworthy, just like a, you know, straight shooter, all around nice person. It's like, a, hey, you know what? He's a real salt of the earth kind of a guy. She's a real salt of the earth kind of a, kind of a woman. Um, this is where that phrase came from. You might not know that, but Jesus was sort of the originator of this phrase, salt of the earth. But in this particular context, he is not looking out at his followers 
He is not looking out at his Christians and saying, hey, you know what? I need you guys to be really just nice people. That's, that's, if you could just be one thing, you just, I need you to be just nice people, like a, like a salt of the earth kind of a person. They go, what is that? Well, we'll find out later on. Okay, no. What he's trying to do in this moment is he's trying to communicate purpose. He's trying to explain to these Christians out there what their purpose is as one of his followers. And he uses salt, this, this image of salt, to convey this purpose. Why? Well, they were very familiar with salt. Salt had a lot of purposes that they would immediately think of. See, when, when Jesus said salt, one of the first things that they would think of is how salt enhances flavor, right? Salt just makes everything taste better. So um, this summer, my wife Jacqueline and I, who she hates when I talk about her from the stage, but she's outside right now as I film this, so I can just really talk about her all I want. Um, my wife Jacqueline and I, we went to Italy this summer. And I hate to say it, but I'm glad we got there when we did. Um, but we spent the vast majority of our time in Tuscany, which is northern Italy, kind of in the center of the country. And it's a gorgeous area in Tuscany. We were in a small town called Greve. And it, it, it was phenomenal food, really good wine, um, great scenery. It was, a, it was a great trip, but there was one huge disappointment, the bread. Okay, the bread. So I don't know if you're a bread person. A lot of people don't eat carbs. I like carbs. We love bread in our family. And when I was over there in Italy, like the only thing that we wanted to do, okay, the only thing we wanted to do was to take just this delicious, you know, Italian bread and dip it in oil because there were olive groves all over the place. And we just wanted to get at it. We wanted to just soak that. You know, you do it. We, we do it here in America. It was one of the things that we could not wait to do. And yet, every time we ate this bread, we were just like, what is, what is going on? What is, what is going on with the bread? Why is, this bread? why is this bread so bad? I mean, it honestly got to a point, and I'm not exaggerating, it got to a point where we just said, you know what, it's, it's not worth the calories. Do you ever say that about a food? You're just like, it's not worth the calories. It's not that good. We're, we're not going to eat that. Now, it wasn't until we got home and we spoke to my father-in-law, who's a chef, and we were saying, what's the deal with the bread? And he goes, oh, I, I didn't tell you. But in, in Tuscany, where you guys were, famously, they don't put salt in their bread. Well, now it makes sense. I mean, every time you go out to dinner, whenever you get a dish and you're just like, you know, is this missing something? Generally speaking, the thing that it's missing is salt. And so what Jesus is saying here in this moment, he goes, guys, listen, as my followers... You are salt to a world that is just missing something. That's what you guys are. Now, to quote, um, what's his name? Guy Fieri, the host of Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives, right? When Christians show up, sort of according to Jesus, it's welcome to Flavortown, baby, okay? Welcome to Flavortown, baby. And now, here's the deal. Because you're not here, I have to imagine that you are laughing uncontrollably at this Okay, because this is hysterical. This is, this is comedy gold. So I think, like, I was actually thinking as I'm recording these, I need to bring a couple of key DHC people into this room and just kind of put them around this table because I need, like, some people that are, you know, really good audience members who laugh. I need, like, you know, Melinda Morgan out there as a shout-out. I need you over here. Then I was thinking, I need a couple of people who give me the old Christian moan of affirmation, the old, mmm, I need that. So maybe my buddy Brian, put him over here. I know you guys. I miss you guys. 
But, but what Jesus is saying is that when Christians show up, it's welcome to Flavortown, baby. That's it. We bring the flavor wherever you are, whether it's at school, on the job, at the gym, in your neighborhood, even in your own house. You bring the flavor. Now, here's the thing about salt. Salt, it doesn't just make things salty. Salt enhances the flavors in foods. In fact, salt can make sweet things even sweeter. That's why they add it to hot chocolate. I bet you didn't know that. Um, it can make bitter foods less bitter. And so I believe what, what Jesus is trying to communicate here in this moment is that we as Christians, we can actually make the world a more enjoyable place. Now, some of you might hear this and, 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 and hear this idea that you can make the world more enjoyable. And you think, well, I don't know if that's me. I just, I mean, I don't, I'm, I'm just not, I don't know if I have the personality to really make things more enjoyable. You know, it's, it's, it's like when there's a, when there's a party, um, I'll go. But I'm kind of like, I'm in the background. You know, I hate to use the word wallflower, but like I'm kind of a wallflower. I'm not really that outgoing. So I don't know how much I can really bring, you know, to spice things up, so to speak. That's not what Jesus is talking about. In fact, the more that I read Jesus, what I, what I think he's driving at here is that when you become a Christian, when you say yes to Jesus, something happens immediately. And you might not know this, but as soon as you say yes to Jesus, as soon as you believe that he is who he claims that he is, namely the Son of God, the Holy Spirit, the third part of the Trinity, enters you. You're baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's, that's what the scripture sort of describes it as. And when God himself takes up residence inside of you, he begins to fill you with characteristics and qualities that can enhance the world around you. Paul, who is one of the New Testament authors in a letter to the Galatians, spoke about this. He said, but the Holy Spirit, this is found in Galatians 5, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. That's how he describes it, fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This list is the spice of life. That, that's, that, that's, that's really how I would describe it. That list is the spice of life. If you want to know how you can enhance the world around you, if you want to know how you can enhance the lives of other people, here's your list. These are the things. This is, because this list, this is the kind of person that you want to be around. Think, think about this for a moment. If you're around a person that just exudes love. Doesn't that make you feel loved? I mean, honestly, doesn't that make you want to exude love? I mean, if, if, if you're around somebody who exudes joy, okay, for example, because since we're talking about being from the church, I miss you guys. There's a woman at DHC. She was one of the founding members here from the very beginning. And then she moved to a different state and we missed her dearly. But guess what? She's back. And you may have met her. Her name is Betty Jo. Betty Jo is one of our greeters. She's at the bottom of the escalator. And she, I would argue more than anyone else in this world, exudes more joy than I've ever seen in my life. And you, when you're around this woman who, who exudes joy, you can't help but feel joy. You can't help to get involved in the sharing of the joy. This is what Paul, this is what Jesus is driving at. I mean, imagine 
Imagine how amazing this world would be if every single follower of Jesus Christ overflowed with these flavors that the Holy Spirit gives each and every single one of us. Now, salt didn't just enhance flavors. It did something else. Salt was a preservative. Now, you're smart people. That's why you come to DHC, so you already know what I'm about to tell you, but 2,000 years ago, they didn't have refrigerators. I mean, 2,000 years ago, there, there were no freezers, so if they wanted to keep meat from rotting, from spoiling, from, from going bad, they had to pack it in salt. And so what Jesus is saying here to his crowd, he's looking out at them and he goes, just so you guys understand, you are the preservative of the earth. If you don't preserve, well, this earth, it's going to rot. If you don't preserve culture, it's going to stink. It's going to experience moral and spiritual decay. Now, why is this happening? Why would he sort of use these words? Well, it's all because of sin. Scripture says that sin brings death and dead things rot. And so what Jesus is trying to convey is that as salt, we, you and I, we can hinder, limit, and even stop the decaying process of sin. Now, imagine for a moment being the original audience and hearing these words. Imagine hearing Jesus himself tell you, looking at your eyes, particularly if you're in the front row at the Sermon on the Mount, and saying, you as my followers, as salt, can make a difference in this world. You can make a difference in the culture that you live in. Now, as Christians in 2020, when we kind of look at the world, this, that seems like a daunting task. I mean, honestly, doesn't it? You, you, you look at what's going on there, and you're just like, I just don't, I don't know if we can really make a difference anymore. But remember, this is 2,000 years ago. And if you think we have it bad now, you ain't seen nothing. Because remember, 2,000 years ago, let's talk about women for a second. 2,000 years ago, women had no rights. None. Christians, in just a few short years, would be impaled on spikes, would be set on fire, and they would be used to light the garden parties of the Roman Emperor Nero. And Jesus is looking into this crowd. He's looking at that world and he's saying, you as my followers can stop this. You can make a difference. You guys are the last stand for all of this. And he would say, look, I understand. You don't have any standing." right? You're the last stand. And I get it. You don't have any standing out there. I understand you're poor. I understand you're marginalized, and I understand you are afraid of your life, but listen to me. You can change this culture. You can make a difference in this world for the kingdom of God. And his original audience heard this, and they believed it, and they grabbed onto it, and they lived it, and they started a revolution. And we today, particularly as Christians, particularly as just citizens in this world, have benefited because they took seriously this challenge to be salt. In fact, I would say this, that we live in a world that celebrates generosity, celebrates compassion, and celebrates mercy because that original audience 
took this challenge seriously because they, unlike us, they lived in a world where generosity and compassion and mercy, well, they were seen as weakness, but not for us. And it's because of them. Because that original audience took seriously the challenge of, of being salt, we as Americans, right? We as Americans live in a country founded on the notion that all humans, all humans were created equal. Now remember, that original audience was filled with women who were not even allowed to speak in public. And look at the changes that have happened. Now, here's the problem. Modern culture sees all of this progress. And they would say, you know what? That's the result of common human decency. It's honestly, it's the result of, of fundamental goodness. Okay, well, there's just one problem. I mean, based on what I read in the scriptures, there's no such thing as common human decency. I mean, I mean, according to the Holy Bible, there's no such thing as fundamental goodness. Paul, who's one of the New Testament authors, we've spoken about him so far today, he actually wrote about sort of the true human nature. Look at what he says in Romans chapter 3. He says, no one, and no one means no one, no one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul, like the stench from an open grave that rots. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Oh my gosh. Their mouths are filled with cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. It's like they can't even wait. They rush to do it. Destruction and misery always follows them. They, they don't know where to find peace. Paul would say, this, my friends, this is what is common to all humans. See, what we see, okay, what Americans mistake is common decency is actually reflection of Jesus' teaching. The progress that we enjoy in America, in Western civilization, and I know we got our problems still, but the progress that we enjoy is actually just the result of learned behaviors. It really is. The progress that we enjoy in Western civilization is the direct result of 2,000 years ago, Jesus' original audience grabbing onto the idea that God loves everyone equally. It's, it is the direct result of Jesus' audience 2,000 years ago grabbing onto the idea that human life is to be respected, that every single human in this world was created in the image of God, that every single man, woman, and child is precious in the eyes of God. They believed this. They grabbed onto this. They changed the world. They stopped the decay. And I would even make an argument that they breathe life back into culture. See, Jesus is saying that if you aren't the salt of the earth, the earth rots. If you do nothing, if you just sit back and, and kick your feet up and go with the flow, you watch. You watch how quickly culture will begin to decompose. Now, one of the saddest things that I have seen in Christianity, one of the saddest things that I've seen in, in the local church, and it's, it, quite frankly, it's one of the reasons we started Downtown Harbor Church, is we saw way too many Christians 
way too many churches who hear the words of Jesus, who seemingly believe the words of Jesus, who are, in America at least, safe from persecution because the original audience decided to be salt and changed culture. And yet, and yet, we look out at culture, we look out at the moral decay that we see, we look at the rot that exists in our society, and what happens? Well, they choose to protect themselves rather than preserving others, rather than preserving culture. Rather than seeing the decay that's out there, rather than seeing this moral and spiritual decay that can, that can be preserved, as Jesus says, that can be helped, that can be loved on, far too many Christians treat society as though it were gangrene, as though it were gangrenous. And what do you do with gangrene? You lop it off. You remove it so as not to infect the healthy tissue. And what begins to happen? What's the byproduct of that? Well, we've said this before. Churches, they become holy huddles rather than hospitals. To use a, an image that we are all far too familiar with at this point, churches quarantine themselves from cultures. They practice social distancing. They close their doors to culture. They, 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 they hide from those who need to hear Jesus Christ. They put up walls between them and us because, because that means we're safe in here. We can sing our songs in here. We can pat ourselves on the back in here. We can eat our Chick-fil-A in here. See, what Jesus is saying here is that you're salt. That's what you're supposed to be. That's your purpose in this world. And if you are not being salt in that culture, then you are being derelict in your Christian duties. And here's a warning for us that do that. Here's what he says. He says, but what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? No. He goes, it will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Essentially, what Jesus is saying is that if you're not doing what you're designed to do, what use are you? If you're not being salt, what use are you? Jesus would say, look, it's great that you go to church. You should go to church. It's great that you have a phenomenal group of Christian friends. You should have a ton of Christian friends to uplift you and encourage you, to lean on you, to help grow your own spirit. That is all good. But if you as my follower are not out there in culture, actively trying to stop the rot, actively trying to stop the spread of sin in this world, then what use are he would say, I think, for salt to be useful, it must come out of the shaker. You gotta get outside of the church. You do. You gotta get outside of your comfort zone. That original audience, they didn't have a comfort zone. They risked it all, meaning their lives, by taking Jesus seriously at his word to be salt in the earth. They put it all on the line and they changed the world. So Jesus sort of shifts perspectives for a second, kind of landing on the same idea, but he shifts perspectives. And he's kind of coming at it from a different angle. And so remember, he's still looking out at this group, and he says to them, guys, just so you understand, 
you are the light of the world. You're the light of the world. To which I think a lot, a lot of us might go, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be the light of the world. I mean, honestly, I don't, I don't think I want to be the light of the world. I mean, I just want to be a Christian. I want to pray. I want to live my life. And I just want to go to heaven. And I think Jesus would say, ah, no. Who taught you that? Not, not me. No, you're salt, you're salt of the earth. You're light of the world. He would say, you are light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. Now, in the translation we're using, it says city on a hilltop. But in the original Greek, it's more like this, this word of, you're like a city that was placed on a hilltop. And so what Jesus is trying to communicate to his followers is that you have been strategically placed. Every single one of you has been strategically placed. You are exactly, exactly where you need to be. Now, what's so interesting about where we live in Fort Lauderdale in South Florida, when I talk to a lot of you guys uh, at the top of the escalator, you know, the confession booth, as I like to call it, um, I like to ask, hey, where are you from? How'd you come down here? Many of you guys say, well, you know, work brought me down here. You know, work transferred me down here. I'm here because of work. And I say, how do you like it? And a lot of you go, eh, it's okay. Um, what's sad, unfortunately, is when I hear, you know, work brought me down here and, and, and then I got laid off. So I'm just kind of, just kind of stuck here. Well, I would just say this, whether you feel stuck here, whether work brought you down here, you are here for a reason. I, I firmly believe that, that God has a plan for your life, that you are strategically placed in this city for a reason. And if you open yourself up to God, he'll tell you. But furthermore, every single one of us has been strategically placed at our school in our job, in our neighborhood, even in your own family. Every single one of you with, with the way that you live your life, with your testimony, with your story, you are a light to those around you. Jesus would say, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. He continues. He says, in the same way, I was talking about you, in the same way, let your good deeds, this translation says, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. So what Jesus is communicating here to his followers, to you guys right now, he's saying, look, I want your life. I want the way that you live your life I want the way that you love other people to be so extraordinary, so extraordinary, that when someone looks at your life and, and, and the things that you do, your good deeds, they go, there's got to be something else. There's got to be something else going on here. There's got to be something more than meets the eye. Because whatever this is, this is way bigger than this person. Jesus is saying, I want you to live your life and, and serve others and love others. I want your good deeds to be so big and so bold and so extraordinary that it forces, I'll use that term, that it forces people to begin to connect the dots between your life and your heavenly Father. Now, just as salt, how he gave a warning, he gives a warning about our light. And what's so interesting is that he doesn't do it right in this conversation. He actually does it about a chapter later. And what you're going to see is that it actually seems contradictory. Jesus says, 
Watch out. Watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Wait. Hold on, Jesus. Don't do your don't do your good deeds publicly because you literally, and I mean literally just said, do your good deeds in such a way that everybody's gonna see it. And now you're saying don't do your good deeds publicly. I knew it. I knew it. The Bible is contradictory. I've heard it said, I knew it was in there. I'm just glad I've got it on camera now so that I can show everybody how contradictory the Bible is. Jesus would say, wait, wait, stop, 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 stop. Hold on, wait. You don't even finish. Let me, let, me, let me finish what I was saying, Jesus would say. He goes, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others. You do that, he says, you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. You see, the point of this entire discussion is that you yourself are not the light. You as a follower of Jesus, you reflect light. We're like the moon and Jesus is the sun. We merely reflect the light of God. And so Jesus is saying, whenever you do your good deeds, make sure you do them so that God is honored. Never do them to be admired. Never do them to, to draw attention to yourself. Everything that we do in this life as salt and as light is always, always, always to point people away from ourselves to Jesus Christ. So, what's the practical? What do you do with a message like this? If it's your first time listening to Downtown Harbor Church, watching us perhaps from your couch, every single week we put this word on the screen because we wanna make sure you can leave on a Sunday and just know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So here's how I wanna handle this week's practicals. So the Sermon on the Mount uh, was delivered by Jesus to his followers. So he was really speaking to Christians in that moment. And so what I wanna do just for the next couple of minutes is I just wanna to speak to the Christians out there. If you're, if you're not a Christian, Right now, that's great. I'm, I'm just I'm glad you're watching and, and checking us out and seeing what it's all about. You can just take the next five minutes and just sit back and watch because I want to just talk to the Christians in the room for a moment. So one of the things this week that I think we should really begin to meditate on and recognize, particularly as we process Jesus' teachings on salt and light, is the fact that we're here today. We're here today because someone with salt and light in our lives. Do you ever think about that? I mean, there's someone out there who took seriously the challenge to be salt and light, and it changed your life. Now, the interesting thing is, they may not have necessarily known they were doing that. I mean, they may not have necessarily known they were a strategically placed city on a hill. They, they may not have known that they were enhancing flavors or 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 preserving culture. They were just simply doing what they knew how to do. They were just listening to the teachings of Jesus and they were living out their life and the world changed around them. You changed because they said yes to Jesus Christ. Which leads us to an exciting truth. And it's this, that our lives can have an eternal impact on someone else. You personally, and I mean you right now watching me, listening to me, Scripture says that you personally can be used by God as a vehicle to impact someone else's 
life and eternal life. So I just have one question for you. How are you leveraging life? That's not a simple question. How are you leveraging your life? Are you adding flavor into this world? Are you enhancing the lives of the people that you come in contact with? Are you speaking out against injustice? And I don't necessarily mean at huge macro, you know, world levels, but on a day-to-day, -day, are, are, are you having conversations with people and saying, you know what, this is not a good idea, this is not a wise thing to do, you know what, we probably shouldn't do it this way, I'm not sure this is the right... These are big, big discussions that we can have. Are you introducing people to Jesus Christ? Are you speaking about your relationship with God? Are you living your life in such a way, in such a big, bold, extraordinary way? Do you live to serve, to use a phrase that we often use at DHC, do you live to serve others in such a way that people are forced to connect the dots between you, your life, and your Heavenly Father? This is a big responsibility. This is one that we can't take lightly. If we listen to Jesus Christ, if we actually become salt and light, we too can change this world. Now, I want to give you one last sort of practical that I think that you can do in the confines of your own home because you're all there. So this one's just like a sort of super practical coronavirus kind of one. And it's this. I would just challenge you this week, practice the fruits of the Spirit. You're going to find them in Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23. We're all trapped inside. I mean, if you're not, you probably should be, just it's kind of the right thing to do. We're all trapped inside. More than likely, tensions are running high, okay? I get that. What would it look like for you to be salt and light in your own house? What would it look like for you to practice patience with your husband? Practice patience with, with your wife, with your children, for those of you who are homeschooling at the moment? What would it look like for you to exude love in these tough times? What would it look like for you to, for you to, to show kindness to everybody? How about self-control? That's a good one. If you make it out to the store, what would it look like for you to exercise self-control and not buy all of the toilet paper and leave some chicken breasts for the rest of us? And when you're out there in public, what would it look like for you to exude peace rather than panic? Guys, I want to thank you for tuning in to DHC this week. We appreciate it. We miss you. Let's stay connected. Let me just close out in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity that we have technology. That even now, as every single one of us is quarantined, that we can still come together and we can hear from the Word of God, that we can be challenged, that we can grow. And I pray that right now, in the privacy of all of our own homes, Lord, that, that we would be convicted. Lord, that you would show us in our own ways how we can be salt, how we can be light, that we can understand that we can make a difference in this world. We can be a light in a world that right now is scary. And speaking of sort of the scariness of this time, Lord, I just want us to bring us all together and, and just pray for what's going on with this coronavirus. Lord, we, we don't understand it. It is, it is concerning, to say the least, God. So I just want to lift up the entire world, Lord. I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would intervene in a supernatural way. 
perhaps in a way that, that we would all, those of us who know you and those of us who don't, could look at this world and what is happening and say, God is in control. God, we pray for our jobs. We pray for our families. We pray for our leaders. And we thank you, Lord, that we know that even in the midst of all of this, you are in control. In Jesus' name, we ask all of these things.